So the theme for this month's podcast is making a new start. And around the new year, we all often start the year with good intentions, be that health-related goals like stopping smoking, losing weight, getting better work-life balance. So it is a good time to think about what some goals may be in terms of both improving health and sleep for the new year and talk about some strategies for how to actually get that to stick. So rather than come February, the wheels have fallen off, back into old habits, that we actually do make behaviour changes that last. So Moira, what are some goals around health and sleep that people could think about uh, for setting in 2017? Well, before even, even being too specific about the goals, I'd just like to go back to the actual drawing on one of our previous podcasts. I think it was about podcast 11, just around health anyway, like what is health, what is good health, before we even start thinking about what we want to change or keep within our health. And thinking about people, encouraging people to be more flexible and adaptable to their environment. So knowing that, of course, the wheels, we can start off really well with anything, but the wheels will come falling off when if increased stress goes up or, you know, time gets poorer or weather changes, a whole lot of stuff can change. So encouraging people to start the new year with and understanding that good health is really about being able to be flexible and adaptable to the challenges in your environment. Mm-hmm. And whether that's in your physical environment, your internal chaos, your you know your work environment, a whole range of stuff to actually just be able to respond and knowing that change comes from within, mm-hmm. that you are the driver of that change, albeit with support. People do need a lot of support, but being able to adapt flexibly to the world is going to come from you and your, your visions of the world. So you covered the top sort of ones about you know health goals, et cetera. So I'd encourage people if they're going to have a health goal such as, you know, to have better sleep, to be quite specific about that, mm-hmm. to make sure that they might say to themselves, instead of a general broad thing, I'm going to get better sleep next year or this year, to say oh, I'm going to have a specific thing, such as I'm going to turn my devices off an hour before I go to bed mm-hmm. or an hour be- earlier than what I'm currently doing and just see that sort of a change, that that by default should help with sleep improvements anyway. And it's a quite a specific, easily measurable, targeted thing. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. And particularly around sleep, I'd also challenge people to not necessarily set goals that are, I'm going to add this in, I'm going to do this thing with the aim of better controlling sleep. Mm. You know, in our last episode, we talked about letting go mm. and actually trying less hard. Yeah, less to, goals in a to, way. To having yeah. less goals on yeah. sleep. Again, it seems strange, but if you're setting goals for improving sleep, it may well be about how the day goes. Mm. So during the day, I am going to ensure that I have 15 minutes of me time each day where I take some time out for nurturing myself. So in healthy respect or understanding, the sleep at night is pretty much a reflection of where you're at day and night. Mm -hmm. It's not, they're not two separate things there is a there is a connection there yeah and that's getting away a bit from those sort of goals of i'm going to get eight hours of sleep Mm. because we can't make sleep come and so trying to strive for a certain amount of sleep is actually pretty tough yes now the time though when i would take that sort of approach is the person who's probably not listening to this podcast but people who you know sleep when you're dead I'm too busy for sleep. I'm not interested in sleep. I'm just going to trade off as much sleep as I possibly can (laughs) for something else. So for someone like that, it is a good goal to set to say, well, come this year, I'm actually going to make sure I spend seven hours in bed each night and have at least an hour where my devices are off and I'm sort of down tools before getting into bed. So in some respects, I'm going to respect sleep enough to create an opportunity. Yeah. For sleep. So again, it comes back to that thing that the, the, the different goals or the different sort of 
philosophies depending on where you are already with your sleep. absolutely. A, whether you have a sleep disorder or not. Yeah. And B, whether you do really appreciate and and respect the benefits of a good night's sleep. Yeah. Yeah. And for people who are having trouble sleeping, one of, I think, a a nice goal to work towards is recognising getting caught up in thoughts about sleep, such as sleep needs to be this or I'm disappointed that I'm not able to do this about sleep. Actually actively letting go of trying to chase that particular Mm -hmm thought. And a really important goal too for me, I'm a bit biased because I work in the sleep disorder space, but really if sleep's not working for you and you've put some things into place, making a commitment that you'll ask for help. And you're not going to ask your neighbour, your hairdresser, <laughs> your auntie. Oh, hairdressers are wise, you know. I love they them. are wise. Lots of good that, chats that, that's for sure. <laughs> but you're actually going to talk to a health professional about it. Mm. and see if you can get some help. Yeah, indeed. And Moira and I have talked about goals and some potential goals, but to give give us some advice on how to actually stick to those goals and make some behaviour changes that stick, we had the opportunity to interview Professor Art Markman. And Art's the Professor of Psychology and Marketing at the University of Texas at Austin. He's also the founding director of the program in the Human Dimensions of Organisations. And don't forget his podcast too, a weekly podcast called Two Guys on Your Head. Yeah, I listened to that the other day. It's actually really <laughs> <Yeah>. good. <laughs> we'll put the link to that in the show notes. Oh, hi, Art. It's Moira here. How are you? I'm doing well. So thanks for joining us and helping us out with the podcast. My pleasure. So one of the things when we're trying to improve health and sleep, as human beings, we generally know what to do. You know, people who are busy and tired know they need more time for sleep, or people who want to lose weight know they really need to eat better. But why is change so hard? Why can't we get it done? Yeah, it's it, you know you've hit on exactly the the most important issue, which is the formulas for doing these things are not the problem, and and I think there are a couple of things that get in the way. One is is really the habits that we have, existing habits around those behaviors. So our eating behaviors, for example, we do a lot of things habitually without even thinking about it that we can do mindlessly, that really get in the way of our efforts to lose weight. And then I think that there are sometimes other activities that also get in the way. So, for example, one of the big problems with sleep isn't just our activities around sleep, but a lot of the other things that we end up doing that cut into that sleep time. And so we need to be thinking in that case, not just about the habits, but really the obstacles for good behavior. And what are some of those obstacles? You know, why do we find it hard to make these changes? Yeah, so in order to think about this in the best possible way, one of the things that I like to do is to really think a little bit about the way the human motivational system works. Uh So the, the motivational system has two components to it. It has a a system in it that engages our goals and our habits and drives us to act. And I call that system the go system. And then it has a second system that when we start an action we no longer want to perform, then that second system tries to stop that action. And I I call that system the stop system. Now, one of the things about motivation that's important to understand is that the go system is generally speaking much more powerful than the stop system, partly because that stop system is evolutionarily newer than the go system and partly because that that goes, if you had a system that was set up so that the, the brakes were stronger than the, than the engine, then you could actually have a situation in which you never got anything done. And I give that whole preamble because it's really important to realize that there are two factors that end up making it really hard to do the right thing. 
The first is that we often engage the go system in ways that tries to get us to do the wrong thing. And then the second is that in many situations, we don't allow that stop system to function as effectively as it could, which then gets in the way of our ability to do the right thing. So when temptation strikes, if we don't hit the brakes hard enough, we end up doing the wrong thing. And unfortunately, that stop system can be impaired by stress, which is why people may stress eat. It could be impaired by drugs and alcohol, which is why people who've had a little bit too much to drink might overeat. And sometimes it can even be impaired by overuse. So if you spend a whole day trying to really stop yourself from, say, snapping at a colleague at work or yelling at a spouse or partner, then by the end of the day, you might just end up eating because you, you can't hold yourself back. So one of the terms you use in the title of one of your books is smart change. What do you actually mean by that term? So the reason I like to call it smart change is because a lot of times when we try to change our behavior, we, we just fly by the seat of our pants. We say, well, I need to make changes in, in the way I eat. I need to make sure that I get regular sleep. And, and so you just resolve to do that, right? Here we are uh, you know, in a new year and, and people have made New Year's resolutions that they're gonna make changes in their behavior. And it turns out that just resolving to do something doesn't actually allow you to make change. The reason I like to start by understanding here's how the motivational system works is because once you understand the way motivation works, then you can begin to work with your brain mechanisms rather than against them in order to change behavior. And in particular, having identified this go system and the stop system and knowing that the go system is more powerful than the stop system in many ways, one of the things that that tells us is that we actually want to reprogram the go system rather than relying on the stop system if we want to change behavior effectively. What about um, for people with insomnia or poor sleep that we see a lot here in our clinic, coping strategies like spending more time in bed or using more caffeine during the day can help them in the short term, but they end up perpetuating the symptoms in the long run. Is doing what helps now rather than in the long run a common pattern of behavior that you find? Yeah, absolutely. Listen, the human brain more than anything else is wired to do what feels like the right thing to do right now. And, and so we're constantly dealing with a trade-off between what's right to do in the long term and what's right to do right now. And most of the time, left to our own devices, we'll resolve that by doing the thing that feels right in the moment rather than the thing that's right in the long term. And so it's really important to overcome that and to focus on what can I do to, to maintain best long-term health and to focus behavior change on creating those great long-term behaviors. Yeah, great. Yeah, that's very useful. So one of the things that we use a lot in treating insomnia is a treatment called sleep restriction. Essentially, it means you get people to spend a shorter period of time in bed and it can hurt when we put that into place. You know, people can feel more tired and you take away opportunity for sleep, which can ramp up their sleep-related anxiety. And some people seem to be better at sort of seeing that through and then reaping the benefits, whereas others sort of almost bail out early or find it too hard. Is that ability to stick with things a trait or can people train themselves to tolerate that a bit better? I, I think the answer is both. <laughs> so there certainly is a trait that, you know, there are some people who are just much more willing to delay gratification uh, into the longer term. I, I was for many years uh, a colleague of Walter Michel's Columbia University. Walter is the guy who did those great experiments with kids and marshmallows, showing that uh, 
you know, you, you give kid you, you give kid a marshmallow on a plate right now, and you say, look, I'm going to walk out of the room. If that marshmallow is still here when I get back, then uh, I'll give you two marshmallows. And the question is, how long can the kid delay eating the marshmallow? And the experimenter stays out as long as 10 minutes, which is an eternity to a kid and to a young kid with a marshmallow in front of them. And what you find is long individual differences, big individual differences in how long a kid can go without eating the marshmallow. And more fascinating, if you track the kids in these experiments over the years, which Walter did, um, those kids who are good at the marshmallow test, that is they wait a long time or, or never eat the, the first marshmallow, they're also better in all sorts of other things like studying in school and, and doing other things to delay that gratification. And I think that same individual difference applies when it comes to treatment which is if, you, if you're good at, at delaying that gratification, you're willing to see these kinds of treatments through to the end. And if you're not, then you're wondering why I'm not getting a benefit right now. And, and, and then you get, you get in your own way. So that's the trait part. But the fact is that we can actually learn to do that better. And one of the things you wanna do there is often to work with somebody else, to find somebody else who has gone through the treatment successfully and, and have them help you through it. Right? Have them have them work with you to say, okay, I know what you're going through right now, and I appreciate that. I went through the same thing. Here's what's going to happen. If you stick with this for another five days, if you stick with this for another month, here are the changes you're going to start to see, and really have somebody else lead you through that process. And in terms of motivating people to change, in your book, Smart Change, you talk about two different types of motivational speakers you know, the sort of high energy inspirational speaker, and then the bit more low energy, but more educational type of approach, trying to show people why they need to change. I must admit that's a bit more my style. But what's the role for each of these styles in helping people move towards behavior change? The motivational system, we talked a little bit about the GO system. If we break that GO system down a little bit, there are two elements there. There are the, the actual goals that you need to achieve, the steps you need to go through in order to succeed at a particular task. And then you have to have some amount of energy or what, what we tend to call arousal that drives those goals and drives you to act. And ultimately you need both of those in order to be able to get something done. So you need to know the plan, but then on top of the plan, you need to have enough energy behind that plan to actually execute it. So, for example, if you think about somebody who needs to get better sleep, if they, if they sit down on the couch in the evening and they know that the plan is that they have to get up early enough from the couch in order to go through an entire bedtime routine before they, they get to sleep, knowing that plan isn't enough if they don't then energize themselves to actually get up and do the things that they need to do in order to engage that nighttime routine. So ultimately, you actually need both the plan and the energy. Yeah, and what, one of the five tools to change that you describe is optimizing goals. So how should people go about in this, this era, start of the new year, thinking about our goals for, the, for sleep health and for, for general for New Year's? How should people go about choosing a goal and, and optimizing that goal? So a lot of times when people try to change their behavior, they actually fail in their goals from the moment they define the goal itself. And in particular, there are two components to that that I think are most important. One of which is that you want to create what I think of as positive goals rather than negative ones. And by positive, I don't mean happy or peppy. I really mean a positive goal is an action you can perform 
rather than an action you're not going to perform. So people will say, I need to eat less. Well, the problem is eating less isn't an action. And so what you really need to do is to, is to set a goal that involves things that you're going to do. So for example, I'm going to use smaller plates from here on out so that I put less food on my plate. Or I'm going to put the portions of food on my plate in the kitchen and then put the, the rest of the food away rather than leaving it out on the table. And notice each of those are actions you can perform rather than something you're not going to do, but those lead to the outcome that you eat less. The other thing that's important to do is to think about the goals you want to achieve in terms of a process that you're going to engage in in order to achieve those goals rather than primarily a, an outcome that you're trying to achieve. So if you focus on the amount of sleep that you want to get, that, you know, thinking about that goal can actually create a tremendous amount of anxiety if you don't reach that goal. But instead, if you think about, well, here's my evening routine. Here are the things I'm going to do during the day and during the evening to prepare myself to sleep. Now that process becomes part of your life. And as a side effect, you get a healthier sleep pattern. So yeah, it's good. It's really quite specific. And we often talk about that too, as people being proactive uh, rather than reactive. And it's kind of, it sounds similar type of principles. So what about We've got all that now and we've got our health goals and we've set them. How can people go about making the changes put in place to make sure they actually stick to it longer term? Yeah. Well, there's, there's of course, several things that you need to do once you've got that goal. The very first thing you need to do is to create a really good plan to achieve that goal because a lot of times these goals, even if they're a process, aren't necessarily specific enough to be things that you can get onto your schedule in order to do them. So, for example, you know, I many years ago learned to play the saxophone as an adult. And if I had just said I want to learn to play the saxophone, I would never have actually learned to play it. It required a much more specific plan involving finding a teacher, scheduling lessons, figuring out when and where I was going to practice, and perhaps most importantly, identifying all of the obstacles that were going to get in my way. Because a lot of times people are reluctant to think about those obstacles because they're afraid that thinking about the obstacles is going to prevent them from actually carrying through and achieving the goal that they want to achieve. But I think a lot of times those obstacles that you identify, they're going to influence your behavior whether you spend time thinking about them or not. And so it's really important to actually think through those obstacles and plan for them rather than waiting for them to arise and then, uh, and then having them derail your opportunities to succeed. So that, that plan is, I think, one of the most important first steps in really trying to, uh, to get to the goal and to begin to stick to it. I might have a good plan, but I've fallen off the wagon a lot of times. <laughs> So is, is failure something that happens for everybody? And is it okay to fail? Failure happens to just about everybody. I certainly don't know anybody who's tried to make a significant change in their lives and succeeded right off the bat. I think we have to learn to cope with failure. We have to learn to cope with mistakes. It's one of the most important things that anyone can do when they're trying to change behavior. And we have to recognize that we're fighting a lot of habits when we learn to, to deal with failure. If, if you think about uh, school, one of the things that school teaches us is to make as few mistakes as possible. 
you know, from the very beginning of school, you get your first spelling test, you get your first math test, and every time that you get something wrong, you get a big red X and points get taken off. And what that teaches us is that success in life is all about minimizing mistakes. But really, success in life isn't really about minimizing mistakes, it's about recovering from mistakes. And so the thing we need to learn to do is to treat the failures that we have as learning experiences, as opportunities to figure out what went wrong and then to plan for what we can do better in the future. And, and also to be a little bit compassionate, to realize that if I'm trying to eat less and I go to a party and I overeat, that that doesn't mean that I've lost the war. It means I overate one day. And now I need to learn, okay, when I'm in this environment again, maybe I should treat it a little bit differently, prepare a little bit differently, but don't assume that just because I had one bad day, that my, or even three bad days, that my entire attempt to change my behavior is a total loss. Th thanks a lot for those insights, Art. I really enjoyed your book, Smart Change. Where else can people read your work or hear about you? So I have a website, smartthinkingbook.com. And uh, on that website, I have information about all of my books, Smart Change. Uh, and, and on that, uh, the tab for the Smart Change book, there's also a free copy of the Smart Change journal you can get, as well as information about other books, uh, Smart Thinking, and my latest book called Brain Briefs. And Brain Briefs is, a, is actually a book I wrote with a colleague of mine, Bob Duke. We, uh, we do a podcast called Two Guys on Your Head, where we explore a variety of topics in psychology, hopefully in a kind of amusing way. And, uh, and, and, and Two Guys on Your Head is available in all the places you can look for podcasts, including iTunes and Stitcher and places like that. Great. Well, Happy New Year to you. All the best for your changes and goals for 2017, Art. Well, Thanks so much. I hope you guys have a great new year. Great. Thanks for your help. Thanks so much. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, great to hear from Art. So what were the take-home messages for you, Maura? Well, it was interesting, wasn't it? It just confirmed what I was talking about earlier in that it's really important to be quite specific in something you can measure insofar as, you know, like eating less, I'm going to eat less, or, or I'm going to lose weight. He would say, well, I'm going to eat less and then I'm going to have a smaller plate mm -hmm. next year. You know, those sort of quite specific targeted behaviour changes rather than just the broad over umbrella, overhanging umbrella goal of I'm going to lose weight. So, yeah, I thought that was, that was one of the take-homes for me. What about you? Yeah, one of the things for me was that sense of it's okay to fail and almost you need to fail to succeed. Yeah. So almost none of us set a goal, achieve it perfectly, find there's absolutely no hiccups or barriers mm. or obstacles or deviations. Mm. Um, so recognising it's okay to fail and recognising that goals are somewhat flexible. You optimise the goals as you move along and that reflects that if things aren't going quite as well as what you want, you can optimise or shift that goal to mm. um, have a greater chance of success. Yeah, it was good to even hear him utter the word fail or failure because yeah. obviously, and I think he did follow up with the learning opportunities or the learning moments because that's always our the jargon, particularly in psychology. Mm -hmm. That there's no such thing as failure, but I think it's good. You can say the word fail or, you know, failure, um, but that doesn't mean that you are a failure or that yep. it's just that the process didn't go so well and you've learned from it. So yeah, I thought that was, yeah, definitely one of his major take-home messages. So if you're looking for more information about setting goals and optimising sleep and health, you can check some previous episodes uh, such as on Let It Go, which was uh, episode 13 of our podcast series, or the podcast we did on Healthy Sleep, which was episode 11. 
Uh, Chris Pierce has also written a nice post on smart goals, setting achievable goals that's on Sleep Hub, and I'll put the link in the show notes. 